Hey guys, I'm Clara Magro and today the subject of, of our podcast will be the analysis of the film Jungle Unchained, a film from 2012 and directed by Quentin Tarantino. The podcast participants will be Julieta, Miguel Turner, Hi. Santiago Fukuda, Hi. and Pierre Perel. What's up? To start our conversation, I need to say that I love this director. I think this movie was another brilliant idea of his. Tarantino is a filmmaker who likes to use cinema to alter tragic historical facts. Since if history has not given deserved fates to the victims, cinema does. Yes, and talking about historical events and contextualizing the movie Jungles and Chain, it takes place on the southern of the US in 1858, two years before the war, somewhere in Texas, I think. And, by the way, out of curiosity, is the time known as Antebello, that is the period before the Civil War. The main reason for the conflict was the disagreement between North and South. The first was more industrialized society and defense of free and wage labor, while the second has an economy based on the plantation system, which had the cultivation of cotton as its main fundamental, with slave labor being considered essential, of course. So, in the movie, Tarantino gives the main character a chance to fight during the counter period of slavery. Yeah, yeah, you can see this in the opening, when the main character's theme and song is played. The lyric perfect, perfectly portrays Django's journey, from slave to free man, in, in addition to search for his wife's return. At first, he finds himself chained to others, but his path crosses that of the bounty hunter Dr. King Shoes. I think that's how pronounced it who ends up buying him to use the capturing the fragile brothers. In return, Jungle would receive help from troops to free his wife, who remained enslaved. Yeah, good appointment from Jungle. In one of the film's most impactful and plastically beautiful scenes, one of the brittle brothers tries to escape from Jungle and shoots to the cotton field, but during his escape, he's shot. His bloodstained stuffs of cotton as a perfect representation of the rap coming from, from a racist wild white staining the black symbol of oppression. It is an important scene because they are killed in front of the slaves, right in the place where they once dominated, and it can be seen as a subtle moment of revenge for those who were oppressed there. Later on, we see King and Jungle develop a friendship. The two of them seem better together than alone. I love this. The former needs the passion and strain of the later, while the later depends on the former's intellect and intelligence to fulfill its goals. Eventually, they manage to locate Brumhilda, who is on Calvin Candy's farm. Impersonating Mandingo's negotiators, King and Jungle infiltrate a Calvin mansion, intent on taking Brumhilda away. Guys, I hate this guy so much. He's one of the most despicable characters. He's passionate about Mandingo fights and likes to look smarter than he really is. He perfectly embodies the supremacist idea that blacks are inferior to him. Totally agree. And also, in one of the film's most brilliant ironies, Candy, who judges himself intellectually superior to his slaves, is unable to speak French, while Django's wife, Brunhilda, is fluent in German. Another example is his ignorance of the fact that Alexandre Duras, author of The Three Musketeers, was black, 
He even goes so far as to say that he was a sentimental Frenchman, when King says that the author's position in the face of slavery would be one of the disgust and sadness. Even in a violent film like this, Tarantino is smart to change the direction of the camera at the moment a slave is devoured by dogs. As if he didn't want to give the audience the satisfaction of enjoying the brutal scene. Exactly, and we have the scene that is very remarkable. Uh, during the incident, Ken asks Jungle if he isn't affected by the violence in the same way as Schultz. And his answer, I, I love this answer by the way, is I am a little more used to American than he is. Um, this shows a brilliant line of dialogue showing how the slave system was ruthless and unfair, but unfortunately it was the also so rooted that there was no other option but to develop tolerance for the villains like this. But they meet one of Candy's employees, Stephen, a black gentleman who is extremely devoted to his boss to the point of sharing the same racist ideas as he. The strangeness of an African-American and racist characters is understandable, but it makes sense given the context of the time. Stephen didn't even see himself as belonging to the black race. You can see that by the way he treated his fellow men. The character behaved like white to enjoy a small part of the privileges that true whites have. It is evident that he enjoyed the, the life and that he did not intend to give up to, ha to help other blacks in any way. However, it's also possible to see that adopting his behavior was his only alternative to have a more comfortable life at a time when people of his color were condemned to be slaves for no reason. At the same time, the existence of racist black characters not only contributed to the satirical tone of the film, but also served to reinforce the stupidity and imbecility of people who follow this idea of white supremacy. The protagonists underestimate Stephen and continue to the plan to rescue Brunhilde. However, it is precisely because of him who distrusts the plan of Django and King that their shame almost go wrong. Yes, Santiago, so true, so true. And it is important to say that Candy gets genuinely disturbed by the betrayal. He can hardly believe his advisor's accusation, as it was soon afterward that he got carried away by the conversation of a man with whom he presumed identification. Candy thought she already knew Schultz, because they were even alike in their dress. Interestingly, Calvin, as angry as he was, did nothing but expose them to show his victory. The character just wanted to theologically torture them and personally offend King's pride. So he was really willing to keep a gentleman's agreement, allowing Schultz and Django the freedom to live with the memory of defeat. But Calvin, still in the humiliation reasoning, forces King to shake his hand, saying it is essential for the complete closing of the contract. In this way, Calvin receives from his opponent a satisfying shot of the chest. Yeah, in this scene, Candy dies being shot right in the center of the white flower he wore on his chest, hitting exactly where it hurt the most, his white heart. And to complete the irony of this moment, his last, his last, his last meal was a white cake, which can be seen as a symbol of his pride and illusion of superiority. So, 
in his last moments of life, it's as if he's literally swallowed his pride. Yeah, and to complete the remake, Jungle even blows up the Candy's mansion, but I think everybody here knows the scene, right? But just reminding that the big house was a, one of the greatest symbol of depression. So yes, um, it was a very important act for Jungle, and all this while wearing Ken's clothes. So appropriating his object to destroy his le legacy of exploitation and cruelty, and ending all this after the host's return, he killed them, allowing only the black people in the house to get out alive. This, of course, except for Stephen who is letting their agonizing to die in the explosion. And finally, Jungle now, totally free, runs away with Brunhilde. Tarantino also pays homage to the black exploitation gender. These productions gained a lot of popularity in the 70s. They were mostly directed, produced and starred by African Americans. The gender allowed black artists to tell their own stories and put on their own characters who for the most part were the plot heroes and not just the villains or supporting cast. These films were often critical of the way blacks are treated on North American society, enabling the protagonists to fight against the oppressive system that subjugated them. Well, if we're talking about black exploitation, why not talk, why not talk about another big influence for Tarantino, the Western? The genre is strongly present in setting and song written by masters of the genre, such as Ennio Morricone. In addition to use of various techniques used in Western, especially the Italian ones, these techniques give more dramatic content to the scene and aesthetically serve as a way to perpetuate or mark a facet of the character. But Tarantino not only pays homage to the Western, but also revolutionizes its exemplars creating a modern reinterpretation. It's not focused on good guys chasing Indians, as is common in many classics of the genre, but on the journey of a farmer slave who becomes the owner of his own destiny. The landscapes are portrayed as brutal places, difficult to survive and populated by violent characters, with casino Morocco's. Unlike the environment in which Jungle is in is also equally merciless, but the difference in Tarantino movies is that, as much as it is a fiction story, the filmmaker was based on a real event. The movie is still able to show white contempt for blacks, as seen the scene where they are choked when they see an African-American riding a horse. After Candy and King are killed, a shot that begins, one of the most violent and unexpected scenes in the film, which until this moment remained contained in relation to the blood, taking one or another scene. The shooting at first takes place without music. Until Django sees two of the servants being shot, the song Ashes practically explodes out of the, the scene. The fact that the song is a remix of songs by James Brown and Tupac Shakur reinforces the strength of the character and black culture as a whole, which was slash is increasingly influential in the US. Jungle Unchained does not attempt to make a realistic portrait of the slavery era, but even so, the film does not spare the viewers the sad and cruel reality of black people at the time. So much so that, when it comes to the slaves, Tarantino is very careful not to make their suffering something caricature and funny. All the care and respect that the subject requires is maintained. 
Tarantino has managed to to construct a revenge fantasy that seeks to repair atrocious historical events, giving strength to a group that was once oppressed. The work shows that it's really not possible to change the past, but that cinema at least can fix mistakes, preventing the future from mirroring the past. I think it's cool to say that to conclude the podcast.